Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find teachings, sermons, discussions, and additional content all related to what's going on here at Trinity. Trinity Galewood is located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago, and we meet Sundays bi-weekly at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mark. Um, you probably know that Trinity Galewood is part of a larger church, uh, Trinity that is one church in four locations, and I'm blessed to be one of those pastors and blessed to be here with you guys this morning. Um, it's really exciting for me to be here with you this morning because um, I want to tell you just real quickly about the first time I visited uh, this church. Um, it was 60 years ago. And uh, I was just a little baby, and I was baptized right here uh, in this congregation. So what a blessing it is to be here with you this morning. Um, We are in this series that we've been calling Follow, and we've been looking at this idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means uh, to, in response to his love and grace in our lives, live our lives for him, live our lives following him, following his will and his plan for our lives. And uh, so we're going to continue talking about that this morning. But first, I invite you to bow your heads and pray together with me. Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think as together we meditate on your word for us. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, who has called us your child, who's made us your child, and who invites us now to live as your child. Amen. So, like I just told you a minute ago, I'm 60. It means I'm old. Like, looking around the room, I'm like the oldest person in the room here today, which, uh, which is uh, a weird feeling, by the way. Uh, but, uh, um, but, but here's the, here's the deal. The, the older I've gotten, uh, the more I've started to look back, and there's a couple fundamental things uh, about how I viewed life that has changed. Um, and let me tell you about two of them this morning. The first is, um, when I first graduated from Concordia University, uh, it was Concordia College back then when I, it wasn't a university, university is a lot cooler, right? Uh, but anyway, um, when, I, when I first graduated, back, way back in 1980, um, if you had asked me um, what my goal for life, uh, my life would have been, I would have said my goal was to be successful. And, uh, and of course, I had a definition in my head, a picture in my head about what successful looked like, you know, a nice car, nice house, a good job, um, a position of leadership and influence, a nice little, uh, you know, nest egg for when I retired someday, a healthy bank account. I had a picture in my mind of what success was all about. But I got to tell you, somewhere along the way, something fundamental changed for me, and I stopped trying to be successful. And I realized that more than success, what I wanted in my life was I wanted significance. I I wanted to be a person that was making a difference, making a difference in the world around me, making a difference in the lives of people around me. And, uh, And now that I look back on it, it's really kind of interesting when you think about it, success is all about me, right? 
But significance is all about a focus on others and, and, and the world around us. And, and so that's kind of one of the fundamental shifts that happened for me, this idea that, that I realized that success really wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Success isn't really what God wanted for my life. It wasn't what I wanted for my life. I wanted to be significant. And here's, here's the other thing that, uh, that, that, it, that changed for me. When I grew up, I always wanted to be like someone else. You know, I remember at first wanting to be like my dad and my grandpa. I, I, I wanted to, 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 to talk the way they talked and walk the way they walked. I, my grandfather had a, had a frozen hip, um, and this was back before they did hip replacements, you know. Today, they would have just fixed it for him, but back then, so he kind of walked with this limp, and one day, my mom told me this. I don't even remember. I come walking into the kitchen, and I'm limping. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. I just want to be like grandpa, right? Um, and then, let's see, it was dad, it was grandpa, then it was Ernie Banks. He used to play for the Cubs. I wanted to be like him. Uh, you know, just kind of go down on the list. Arnold Palmer, I wanted to golf like him. You know, just as I was growing up, there was always someone I wanted to be like. I don't know if you guys remember this, but a number of years ago, there was a commercial. I think it was a Nike ad, and it was all about, you want to be like Got to be like Mike, right? Yeah. So, but, but again, somewhere along the way, something shifted for me, um, and I stopped uh, this idea that I wanted to be like someone else, and I realized what I really wanted to be is I wanted to be the best version of me that I could be, that, that God had created me as a unique human being. You know, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that, that, that he, he created us in Christ Jesus. We are this masterpiece, literally, it says there in Christ Jesus, each one of us, that he created to do good works that he prepared for us beforehand. So, so I started realizing that God's plan for me is not that I would be like dad or be like grandpa or be like Mike. The God's plan for me is that I would able to be the best person, the best me that he had created me to be. And then as we read God's word, we, we start to run into verses like this. This is from Jeremiah 31. And, uh, and God's talking about this time when he says, I'm going to put my teaching in their minds and write them on their hearts. I'm going to be their God and they will be my people. People will no longer have to teach their neighbors and relatives to know the Lord because all people will know me. It's, it goes on in Jeremiah to describe this day when, when I will have a life of significance that will really make a difference. And I will be the best version of me I could ever be. In fact, I'll be the perfect version of me that God created. His law will be written in my heart. I won't have to, to study it or try to learn it or try to follow Jesus. I'll just naturally follow Jesus. Now, when is that day going to happen? In heaven someday, right? Someday Jesus is going to come again, and, and someday there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and we are all going to be able to live the life that God originally planned for us. God is recreating this universe. That's his plan for us, and that's so cool and so exciting. And there are days when I just go, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I just can't wait. But here's my question for you this morning. So is it really all, is our life really all about just waiting for that day to happen someday? Or, or is God's will for us that we experience at least in part, in small ways, maybe in ever-growing ways, right here and right now, that future that he has planned for us? And I would argue with you that that is exactly why we're here. 
Our whole series is based on this verse, this verse in Ephesians 4, where Paul is talking about this idea that we must become a mature person growing until we become like Christ. And again, that day when we're fully like Jesus is, is, is out in the future. It's when Jesus comes again. It's when we're in heaven someday. But, but the truth of God's word is we don't have to wait for that day to be a little bit more like him every day. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit more about this morning. And, and by the way, um, I think uh, Pastor Dave's been kind of sh- revealing this to you, showing to this, this to you during our series. Our plan at Trinity is to help you do that more and more every day. Our mission as a church is that we want to be more like Jesus. And uh, we have this thing that we call the discipleship path. And just let me, again, take it to you real quickly. We, we have all these things we call on-ramps, different ways for people to get connected with Jesus and with with uh, the ministry here. And uh, it's things like that Fall Fest that's going to happen on Wednesday, right? When we invite people from the community. And why are we doing that? Well, first, because we love the community and we just want to bless them, right? But, but, but we also want them to come to know us and, and, and through us come to know Jesus and know his hope and his love and his joy. And so we have all these things we call on-ramps. And then, and then we talk about this idea that, uh, that we want people to discover what the life that God has for them, or I think you guys call it discovery here, right? Yeah, that, you know, that chance to, to learn about what God's plan is for our life and who Jesus is and what it's all about. And we want people to get to that point where they not only make a commitment to follow Jesus, where where they say, yeah, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to uh, learn about his will and his plan for my life. And, I, and, and we believe that the best place that happens is in a small group. I want to talk about that a little bit more this morning on why we believe that. But, but we say it all the time. We say you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. God says, love the Lord your God. That's about a relationship. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about relationship. And, and, and we talk about how we want small groups to be places where people are helping you with that growth pot process, there, where, where uh, leaders are taught how to lead and encouraged how to lead and grow more like Jesus. And ultimately, we want those leaders to be well coached so, so that all of us together, the whole, all of what we're doing as a church is working together to help one another grow in response to God's love and God's grace in our lives. And... Uh, and so the verse I want to really focus in with you on a little bit this morning, uh, before we go any further, though, is this verse from Ephesians 2. Because, you see, sometimes when we talk about growing more like Jesus and how we do that and what our method as a church is to do that and how it's important to get connected in small groups and how it's important to, to be in a group that's got a leader that's helping you grow, when, when we talk about that, there's a great danger to start to think that what we do is really all about what we do and to forget the fact that really, first and foremost, we are here because of not what we do, but because, because of what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 2 tells us this amazing thing, that it's by God's grace that we are saved. And and he gives us that grace through this thing called faith. And guess what? Even that faith is not something we do. It's something God does in us. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God. It's a gift that we've all been given. And, And so what that means is, first and foremost, I'm just a receiver, I'm just someone that receives God's gifts. We already received one of those gifts from God this morning when when Pastor Dave stood up here and he said, your sins are forgiven. 
That forgiveness is a gift that, that we don't have to do anything to earn. I say it like this all the time. There's absolutely nothing you have to do to earn God's love. It's a gift that God gives you. And by the way, there's nothing you could ever do to make God stop loving you. His love for you is full and free and complete, and it's something that is because of who he is, not because of who you are or what you do. We are just receivers. And later in the service, we're going to receive again. We're going to come up, and we're going to receive this gift of his body and blood, again, for the forgiveness of our sins and, and to strengthen our faith. First and foremost, we have a giving God, a generous God, who gives and loves but I love the title uh, to this Max Lucado book. Have you ever read this book? It's one of my favorites. It's called Just Like Jesus. Um, but, but I love the subtitle. I don't know if you can read it on there. It says this, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. I love that. God loves you just the way you are, but, but God is not gonna leave you that way. He does want a life of growth for you. And that's why Paul says it this way. This is, this is in uh, Philippians 2. He says this. He says, he says to us as followers of Jesus, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, that verse can be kind of confusing, especially after that other verse we just looked at from Ephesians that said, hey, no, your salvation is a gift from God. Well, then what is Paul talking about? Why does he tell us that we're supposed to work out our own salvation? I want to unpack that with you a little bit. But first of all, I want, I want to talk to you a little bit about how growth happens in your life. How this growth, this working out of salvation that Paul talks about happens in your life. Um, I I hinted at this before. I really love to golf. Golf is like one of my favorite things to do in the world. You know, I hear people that say, you know, when I retire, I can't golf every day. Oh, I can. And, you know, but and so a couple of years ago, I had never had a lesson in my life. And so a couple of years ago, I decided I want to go get a golf lesson. And, uh, and so there's one of those indoor dome places near my house, right? Where you can go in the winter and still hit golf balls and, and they have guy's there to teach you. So I'm like, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to go get a golf lesson. So I went to this guy, and the first thing the guy did is he took a picture of, of me and my stance and my swing, and then he said to me, he watched me hit a few balls, and he said, okay, he said, I need to know something. He said, I, I, you just want to tweak something a little, because I can help you tweak something a little, but if you really want to get good, I can help you get really good. What am I going to say? No, I'll, I'll settle for tweak. That's fine. No. I'm like, no, yeah, I want to get really good. He says, okay, so here's what we got to do. And, and so he, he kind of twisted my body all these different ways. He took another picture, and then he said, now let's sit down. And he had a cool iPad, and he goes, now, now look at this. He says, first of all, the first thing we got to do is we got to get your posture better. Because right now you're slumping over too much, so we got to get your spine straight. We got to get your head up. We got to get your posture better. He, he said, and then what we got to do is we got to fix your grip, because your grip is a mess. So we got to change your grip. We got to fix this. We got to fix that in your grip. He said, and then what? What we got to do is we got to take a look at your takeaway because you're just lifting the club up and we got to get you on a different plane and getting the grip fixed will help with that. The posture will help with that. He says, but quite frankly, that's not going to be the only solution. We're going to have to get some bend in your knees a little bit because we're going to have to fix that a little bit too. And he said, and by the way, your feet are a mess. They're too close together. We've got to get them farther apart. We got to get you shifting your weight right. And he said, by the way, while we're at it, you need to lose some weight. <laughs> All right. He didn't say that last one. But when I looked at the pictures, I said that last one. I'm like, okay, that's, that's a mess. Now, now, how do you think that went? 
He, he gave me about 20 different drills to try, about these eight different things he wanted to fix in my swing, and sent me out, and uh, how do you think that went? Not so well. It, it was a mess. In fact, it, it made my life Worse, It made my golf swing terrible because what he was trying to do is he was trying to get me to change everything overnight. And I think that's what a lot of us do as Christians when we first start thinking about our spiritual growth. When we first start thinking that, that the Christian life can be more than just a get out of hell free card and get a chance to go to heaven someday. When we start to realize that following Jesus can actually affect how we live our daily lives right here and right now. I think we think we got to change everything at once. We look at all this stuff in our lives that, that is out of step with God's plan, and we think God's plan for us is fix it all and fix it all right now, or you really shouldn't be coming to church. You really shouldn't be you know, following me if you can't fix everything. But that's not what this passage that Paul talks about says. What Paul's describing here of working out our salvation, uh, by the way, do you know what the, the Greek word that we translate as work out here really means? You know what it means? Work out. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a process. It, it's something that takes years. It's something that takes little changes bit by bit over years. Now, again, that can be confusing um, because we're trying to figure out how does that make sense with what I just read from Ephesians about it being a gift from God. Now, I, I'm not somebody that likes to throw Greek words around a lot, but I really thought you needed to see this this morning. The, these are two Greek words uh, that in the Bible are used uh, to describe our salvation. And, and as you can see, they're very, very similar words. They look almost identical, but there's just this little bit of change. There's a, there's a couple of letters that are different. And, and both of these words are used in scripture, and one of them, the top one means those who have been saved, and the bottom one means those who are in the process of being saved. So think about that for a minute. It means when the Bible talks about you as a follower of Jesus, on one hand, the Bible says you are someone who has been saved. It's a done deal. It is what we just sang about before. I am who he says I am. He says I am his holy, perfect, forgiven child who has heaven in my future. I am saved. That is who I am. Scripture says that clearly. But guess what? Scripture also says the second one of those. It also describes you and me as those who are in the process of being saved. In other words, on one hand, my salvation is a done deal. It's a promise from God. But on the other hand, it's that process that continues in my life. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says to us that, that now in response to God's love in our lives, we are to work out our salvation. Literally there, what it says is keep on working out. It's a process. It's a process that's happening every day in our lives. And, and at Trinity, we use some words to help us think through that process a little bit. Um, even though they didn't fit on the line, apparently, in the last letters on these, you can figure out, right? Um, uh, uh, we, we start with this idea of we're always thinking about what evaluating, kind of taking a look at our lives and asking, where am I now? What is my life? How does my life compare with what God's word says my life is supposed to be like? Um, and, then, and then we plan. We think about, well, what am I going to do about that? What is God calling me to do about that? And uh, we, we ask ourselves questions like, well, where am I now? 
And, uh, and what is God calling me to do? But, but here's the problem. A lot of Christians never get past those two steps. I, I've known Christians who love to spend time talking about where they're at and what God is calling them to do. But you know what? They never actually do anything. And, and that's why we talk about this third step. We talk about this idea of obeying. It's just as simple as, okay, I know where I'm at. I know what God is calling me to do. I know what he's asking me to do in this one area of my life. And now I'm going to try actually doing that. I'm going to try to take a step. And if you hang around Trinity at any one of our sites for very long, you should hear somebody looking at you saying, what's your next step? Because that's what we want you to be thinking about in response to God's love and grace in our lives. What's your next step? What's the next thing God is calling you to do? But now, there's a few keys to that that I want to make sure you don't miss. And actually, I want to spend just the rest of this message with you thinking about how that happens in our lives. And and it comes from that, that gospel reading we heard read just a little bit ago from John's gospel, where Jesus talks about this idea that, that he is the vine and we are the branches. He says, abide in me and I in you. And then he says, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, if we are going to grow to be more like Jesus, if we're going to experience real lasting change in our lives, that shows that our lives are aligned with Jesus. He says we've got to stay first and foremost, most importantly, connected to him. Now, Jesus uses this uh, vineyard, agricultural kind of image with them. Why do you think he did that? Because they all understood it. How many of you are vintners? Yeah, so, so I, I'm convinced that if Jesus were here today, and if he were explaining this concept to you today, he wouldn't necessarily use this image of a vine, of branches connected to a vine. He might use a different image that we'd be more familiar with. Like, I was thinking maybe, maybe he would use the plumbing image. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, my wife, Betty, and I actually used to live about a mile away from here, up on Mulligan Avenue. Uh, my grandparents' house was there, and when my grandmother died, we bought the house of my grandfather, and, and, and we moved in. So we lived right up there on Mulligan. And, uh, and the first day we're there, my wife comes out, and she goes, something's got to change. I'm like, what? She goes, you can't, I can't rinse my hair in that shower. It's like, there's like... It's like it's spitting at me. There's just not enough water coming out of that shower. And, and by the way, it wasn't just the shower. If you went in the kitchen, you had to fill the uh, coffee pot in the morning to make a pot of coffee. It took forever to fill the coffee pot. In fact, just about every one of the places in the house where you could get water out, the water came out just really, really slow, except for one. In the very front of the house, on the outside of the house, there was a little spigot. And that one, actually, you turn that one on, water came out. And so I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I go in the basement and I looked. Well, it turns out the water main came into the house in the front. And then other than that one spigot for the front of the house, it ran all the way to the back of the house. And then that's where it branched off to the bathroom and to the kitchen and, uh, and you know, to the, to the shower. And I'm like, there's something wrong with that connection to the main, this old lead pipe. And so we put in a new copper line, and guess what? It was like, ah, in the shower, finally, right? 
And, and in fact, you cut up that old lead pipe to take it out, and you'd have a section about this long, and you'd look through the end of it, you couldn't see through it. That's how bad the corrosion was in that pipe. So what was the problem in our house? The problem was we weren't getting anything out of the faucets in our house because the connection to the main was all clogged up. See, I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here with this vineyard image. He's trying to say, as long as we have a great connection to him, as long as our connection to him is wide open, he's going to be able to pour lots and lots of his love and grace into our lives. And it's that love and grace that actually transforms us and changes us. But if, but if that connection to him is messed up, we're not going to bear fruit. We're not going to get the water pressure we need coming out of his love and grace into our lives. So I want to ask you this morning, how's your connection to him? When you think about your connection to Jesus, you think about what your regular worship attendance is like, when you think about how much time you spend in his word, when, when you think about how much time you spend asking yourself that question, where am I in life and what does God want me to do with my life and what's God's plan for my life? When, when you look at your connection to him, how's that connection? Because Jesus is saying is that if that connection's not good, you can, you can talk about growth all you want in your life, but nothing's gonna happen. You're not gonna be able to work out your salvation if you're not connected to him. And by the way, Paul even says it in that verse, doesn't he? Look at it. He says, he says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even the growth that happens in our lives is something that God does in our lives. And God does that through his word. But there's another thing that I want to make sure you didn't miss in that reading in John. God also does it through his word as it is shared with other people. Right in the middle of this section where Jesus is talking about bearing fruit and talking about remaining connected to him, he says this. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, Jesus is saying there's something not only crucial about our connection to Jesus to help us grow, but there's something crucial in our connection to one another. I'm going to show you a picture. This is, uh, this is me and my wife, Betty, um, on the left there. Uh, and uh, that, this, some friends of ours, Ron and Karen, um, uh, uh, this, was, this picture was taken, I can tell you, 23 years ago because my wife's pregnant with our son who just turned 23 this year. So it's, it's kind of an old picture. But here, here's why I'm showing you this picture. Um, we were part of a church together up on the north side of Chicago, up in Norwood Park, uh, St. Paul Lutheran Church. Um, I was a teacher in the junior high there at the time. I hadn't gone to seminary yet. And, uh, and they started this new thing in our church called small groups. And we had never heard of small groups before, right? We had Bible class on Sunday mornings where we went to class and we sat almost like in a classroom and the pastor would teach and we would take notes, kind of like, you know, just regular class, right? Um, but, but no, they were going to do something new and they called it small groups. And here's what happened is you were supposed to study this section of God's word on your own and there were questions for you to use. And then we came together on Thursday nights at our church. I think you guys do Wednesday nights here, right? But we came together on Thursday nights, and we were broke up into little small groups of eight to ten people, and you kind of shared what your answers were from the week. Uh, and then we all went together into the worship center where the pastor did about a half-hour uh, lecture on whatever that, that uh, text was that we were studying. And then we went back into our small groups for about an hour to process what we had just heard um, and then to, to kind of look at it and study it a little more and get ready to do it all again the next week. And, uh, 
So Bethy and I were like, okay, yeah, we'll try that. That sounds interesting. And we were in small groups with Ron and Karen. And, uh, and this is what would happen. We would get together, and there would be only two people in the group that had actually done all their homework. Ron and me, all right? Um, I think our wives did too. So there were four people, right? But, uh, but, uh, and, and so we'd have this great discussion. Then we'd go hear the lecture. We'd come back, and, uh, and we'd talk for like an hour. And now we're supposed to be done. And, and Ron would look at me and go, I got more to talk about. Do you? I'm like, yeah. Let's go get a pizza and a beer. Absolutely. And so we would go out, the four of us, um, and we would, we would sit and we would bring our Bibles and we'd go to the local pizza place and we'd get a pizza, have a few beers. And there were times where we would talk late into the night, as long as they'd let us stick around about whatever it was we were studying God's word. I got to tell you, that was the time of the greatest spiritual growth in my life. I had never grown in my faith like I did during that time. And uh, now looking back on it, I understand why. Because Jesus teaches us that, that the growth that happens in our life isn't simply dependent upon our connection with him, but for some reason beyond our understanding, he also ties our growth to our connection with one another. There's this uh, time when Jesus uh, was hanging out and this lawyer came to him and he said, what's the greatest commandment? And do you remember what Jesus said? He would not give him one, he gave him two. He said, he said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would not separate our love for God and our love for one another. He would not separate our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And that's why in our church, in our congregation, in Trinity, at all of our sites, we believe that, that spiritual growth happens. You grow more like Jesus if this side of heaven, you live in connection with Jesus, you stay connected to him who is the vine, who's the, the water main that, that floods you with love and grace and joy and peace in your life. But we also believe that it's necessary for you to be connected with one another. And so we challenge people, get in a small group, get connected with someone else, spend time reflecting together on God's word, on his will for your life. Have other people help you figure out where you are at right now and what God is calling you to do next. It's crucial to how growth happens in our lives. So that's why that we, we try to get everybody that's part of Trinity there, connected to Trinity, figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, making a commitment to follow him, and then getting connected with other people. But there's one last thing. Jesus says if we are connected to him, we are going to grow. We're going to experience that love and that grace. We're going to bear fruit in our lives. And if that connection involves other people, that it's going to happen powerfully in our lives as we love one another, as we learn what it means to love God and to love one another and experience that in our lives. And Jesus says, if we do that, he says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. A number of years ago, I, I saw this, uh, it, it's called the Visual Bible. Have you ever seen it? It was Matthew's Gospel, uh, word for word, but acted out on the screen. And, uh, and the guy that played Jesus in that just blew my mind. Because every other uh, you know, reenactment of the New Testament I had seen, Jesus was kind of this somber, brooding mystic that said all these cool things, but he never seemed to be having any fun. But the guy that portrayed Jesus in this visual Bible, 
Uh, he, was, he, he was laughing. He was smiling. He was having fun with his disciples. And by the way, it made me start to realize how funny some of the stuff Jesus says really is when you think about it. Um, it, it here's one example of that. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember where Jesus said, you know, why do you criticize your brother uh, about the speck in his eye when you ignore the log in your own eye? Um, in that video, Jesus, before he starts saying that, he walks over to somebody and he picks up their walking stick and he holds it up on his eye like this. There's this huge, you know, stick hanging out of his eye and he goes, why do you criticize? You know, he's like visually acting out. It's hilarious when you think about it. But, but here's what that video did to me. It, it made me want to follow Jesus all the more because I realized Jesus was somebody I just would love to be around. Jesus wasn't somebody who was somber and sad and brooding all the time. Jesus was full of life and full of joy. And Jesus says to you and me that if we follow him, if we live our lives in response to his love and grace in our lives, that, that we will experience life the way it was supposed to be lived, in John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus said this, I've come that you might have life and have that life abundantly. One more, uh, one more story before I'm done. A couple weeks ago, I, um, there it is. A couple weeks ago, I met this guy. Um, I was playing golf with a, with a friend of mine who had invited me to golf with him at his country club. Um, and, and, uh, and we get done golfing and he goes, yeah, one of my buddies is going to meet us for a drink. He's got an amazing story. I want him to hear, I want you to hear a story. And so I met this guy and, and I'm like, okay, Eric said, you got a cool story about your life. I want to hear it. He goes, all right. And, uh, this is 1992. He and some friends decided they were going to buy the Snapple beverage company. Now, by the way, just a little side story. He told me, do you know how Snapple got its name? At the time, their number one, they were called the Unadulterated Food Products Company. That, that's really great, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, and so they decided, they, they get together and they decided they needed a new name. And at the time, apple juice was their number one selling product. They're like, okay, so we need a new name for our apple juice and it's gotta be a snappy name. I'm not kidding you. Like one guy goes, well, what about Snapple? And they went, well, that works. And the meeting lasted like two minutes, he said, and that was it. They named it Snapple. But anyway, that's not the story he wanted to tell me. So, so, so he and a group of his friends decided they were going to buy the Snapple company. And they started figuring out what it was going to cost and everything like that and what they were going to need to do. And, uh, and, and he figured out that his part, if he was going to be a part of this group that bought the Snapple company, it was going to cost him pretty much everything. He, he was going to have to cash in his retirement accounts. He was going to have to mortgage his house. He was going to uh, have to take their life savings, everything they had, and, and literally almost every dime he had was going to have to go into this deal. And you know what he decided? It's not worth it. He said, this is just another beverage company. There's a million beverage companies. I, 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 it's not worth it. And so he said, no, I'm not in. Well, his friends went ahead and bought it anyway. And, uh, and they bought it in 1992, and they sold it two years later in 1994 for $1.6 billion. He looked at me, and the guy was still like practically in tears when he's telling me this story. Remember, this happened in 1996, and this is 2018. He looked at me and he said, my share would have been $100 million. And then he said this, 
it was, it was like chilling. He looked at me and he said, I still lay awake in bed at night sometimes and think about what I missed. It's a tragic story. But here's why I tell you that story. At the end of my life, I don't want to lay in bed awake at night looking back on my life and see that I missed the opportunity to live the kind of life that Jesus wanted me to live. I mean, who cares about $100 million? I, I, I want to live my life in response to God's love and grace and, and make a difference in the lives of people around me. I want to be that source of joy and hope and love and strength in, in the relationships that I have. I want Jesus' love to flow in me and through me. And I know for that to happen, there's some stuff that has to change in my life. And folks, it would be so easy to say, I'm going to heaven someday. I, I don't have to worry about that. That my salvation is secure. Jesus has promised me that. It'd be so easy to simply live my life knowing that someday I'm going to go to heaven and then just going about my everyday life however I want to. But if I do that, I'm going to miss the joy and the hope and the significance of being all that God created me to be and following Jesus. So here's my challenge to you today. What do you want to do with your life? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to live in response to his love and grace in your life? Remember, there's nothing you could ever do to make him stop loving you, and there's nothing you have to do to earn that love and grace. It's yours. But are you going to let that love and grace make a difference in your life? Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, are you just going to live a little bit more like him? Let's, let's pray about that. Jesus, I come before you today, and Lord, I really do want to follow you. I, I really want to be a person of significance. I really want to be a person that, that has your joy living in me and, and shares that joy with others. I want to follow you. Lord, help me to follow you with my life. Help me in response to your love and your grace to let that love and grace that you've given me transform me bit by bit, piece by piece, one step at a time into the person you created me to be so that I can make a difference now and for eternity. Amen.